Love it. Well, yes, um, you've heard my name is Kendall, and I'm delighted that you're here, and I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted that the Lord is here meeting with us tonight. Um, I'm excited to unfold God's truth with y'all. So about six years ago, I was sitting in your seats. I wasn't at Everyday Joe's. Different place. Imagine St. Louis, Missouri. Similar setting, though. And I was a freshman in college, and I was hearing people talk about Jesus in a way that I had never heard anyone talk about him before. Okay, They talked about him as if he was their best friend, as if he really was their greatest treasure, their strongest refuge, their source of joy, their source of life, the center of their world. I met people who carried the fragrance of having been with God, who carried peace and purpose. And it poured out of them too. This wasn't just like compartmentalized to our weekly worship service. It seemed to invade every part of their life. These people, I would learn, were people who abided with God. Tonight, that's what we will be talking about, is abiding with God, how God remains in us, and we remain in him. So first, we'll be looking at how God abides in us, and then we will look about at how, he, how we abide in him. What does abiding mean, though? If you've been around this community for any amount of time, you've probably heard this word thrown around. Um, but what do we mean by that? Well, the Greek word for abiding is meno, which is connected to the Latin word meneo, which means house. Okay? Maybe not what you thought. It may think, make you think of the word abode. I love to greet people in my house that way. Welcome to my abode. Um, I do that. So abiding means to remain in one place at a given time, to dwell, okay? This language is used throughout the New Testament, but if you look up scriptures that reference abiding, which I did, <laughs> like Blue Letter Bible, really good tool, like three quarters of the references are from the disciple John either in the recounting of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that he wrote, right, his gospel, or letters that he wrote to the early church. So I think if John were to have, like, sent a letter to a church and it had just, like, one word on it, it would have said, abide. Which seems appropriate. John lived a life of intimacy with Jesus, not just during his ministry, but the point of his writings, he's reflecting on a life lived in intimacy with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In John's first letter to the early church, he says this. This is 1 John 3, 23 through 24. It says, he references this concept of abiding. He says, this is God's commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. So I want to start first tonight by unpacking the mystery of God abiding in us, God remaining in us. And you may be thinking, like, why is that such a big deal? <laughs> um, yeah, God is in us, we are in God, 
God is all around, God is in everything. Um, in our world and culture, there's definitely this growing interest in the idea of God in you and me. New Age beliefs and Eastern mysticism would teach this idea that God is all and all is God. But the Bible tells us a different story. It tells us that God in us is not actually the natural condition of our world. It tells us that it is a costly gift for God to be in us. So the issue is that we humans have a problem called sin. Nate defined sin two weeks ago as missing the mark. It is our rebellion for God, from God. It breaks our relationship with others and with him. And we kind of see it everywhere, right? Why would we ever lock our doors at night if there wasn't sin in the world? And why would we ever need to apologize or have laws or need lockdown browsers for tests? Scripture says that none is righteous and all like sheep have gone astray. And if God really is holy and just and pure and perfect and good as we think a God ought to be, then we see that we are fundamentally different than that. Sin and holiness are like oil and water. Have y'all ever done that science experiment, oil and water, and they don't mix? Yeah, they don't. They can't. They cannot mix in a rational, spiritual world. But even with the fundamental problem of sin, God's pursuit has always been to abide, to remain with his people. And so throughout scripture, we get glimpses of God making a way to remain with his people. So we're going to travel a little bit through the Bible. Hopefully there's no whiplash involved. Um, and yeah, we want to catch a glimpse of these moments of God in pursuit of abiding with us sinful people. So first we're going to stop at Mount Sinai. This is where God tells Moses to then tell the Israelites, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's a pretty cool statement. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That will come up again. And God's also like, hey, I'm going to reveal myself to the people. So make sure that they bathe themselves inside and outside, right? Bathe them inside. They need to be cleansed and purified. Bathe them on the, fully clean, okay? I do imagine that if you were going to come face-to-face -face with God, you would want to look your best. And, but also, as we've talked about with oil and water, they would need to be cleansed to be in God's presence. So when God does reveal his presence, as you would imagine as God showing up would be, it's pretty epic. Um, there's smoke, there's mountains quaking, trumpets, and God is speaking in thunder. So these people who were prepared to enter God's presence are actually end up being fearful. They basically push Moses forward and say, thanks, buddy. We'll wait back here. You go talk to God, and then, yeah, don't let God speak to us or we will die. Okay? That's, that's literally how that story goes. Um, so in one sense, at this point, the presence of God is visible, right? You see all the, all the glory of God, awe-inspiring, but only Moses actually entered the presence of God. Does that make sense? Okay. So this brings us to the city of Jerusalem, where God commanded a guy named Solomon 
to build a temple that would house God's presence and be a means to reunite God and these people that he was pursuing. The dwelling place of God in the temple was called not just the holy place, okay? The holy place, as he said, the presence of God was in the most holy place. And there was a curtain guarding the entrance of the most holy place. And only once a year could a priest enter it, okay? No one else could enter except for a priest once a year. So again, we see only a select few people being able to enter the fullness of God's presence. But God is not done pursuing his people. Our last stop is in a town called Bethlehem. You may have heard of it. In, so an angel appears to a man named Joseph and tells him that his fiance, who is a virgin, will have a baby who will save people from their sins. This fulfills a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Jesus was the new temple, God's presence among us. But he didn't just come to be God among us. He came to make a way for all people to have access to God's presence. Do you remember the curtain from the temple that guarded the most holy place that we talked about a minute and a half ago? As Jesus is being crucified brutally on the cross, taking on our sin, the Bible says that he became sin, who knew no sin. He breathes his last breath, and we're told in Matthew 27, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What once only Moses and the priests could experience in abiding in God's presence is now available for all people through Christ. How can a holy God abide with sinful people, in sinful people? Through the purity bought for us by Christ, God's spirit can dwell in us. God can remain in us, abide in us, okay? We're no longer oil and water. This is a horrible analogy, but it's all I could come up with. We're a hydro flask and water, okay? <laughs> I know it's not parallel. It's fine. So we can now be a vessel for God's spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that, in him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. When we receive Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we step into new life in him, we receive the promised Holy Spirit and are marked by him. And when we are marked by him, we become part of this new temple. Our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the fullness of that crazy, incredible power and presence of God within us. So, if we remember, John was talking to the church, telling them that God abides in them and they abide in him. What is the significance of John telling that to his audience? highlighting the fact that God abides in us. 
Well, this church was facing the growing popularity of false teachers, okay? People were leaving the church to be united with false teachers, listen to them, learn from them. Um, and I wonder if a question the people in the church were asking is, what truly does make us different from them? What does separate us from anyone else? And maybe we find ourselves asking that question sometimes. Like, what truly makes a Christian different from anyone else? Don't we all kind of believe the same thing? The whole idea that we are God and God is in us and it all kind of sounds like God abiding in us. But the reason why false teaching is deceiving is because it's eerily close to the truth. John is warning the church to be discerning of the spirits, okay? He says that the difference is that the Spirit of God will always profess Christ, that he is the one who did make our way to God. And other teachings may be gaining a following, but they don't have the power of the living God behind them. And he's encouraging his church, the Spirit of the living God lives in you. Okay, and the one who lives in you, he says, is greater than the one who's in the world. So their religion wasn't just supposed to be this like theological idea, but a lived reality of overcoming through this abiding with God. Norman Grubb, bless you, in his book, The Key to Everything, sums up this mystery. He says, the scriptures say that Christ ascended, that he might fill all things. If he is meant to fill all things, all things must be containers of him. Here is both the height and the dangerous depth in humanity. The height is simply this. The rest of creation can contain manifestations of God. We can contain God as a person. A person cannot manifest himself as anything other than a person. God can manifest his marvels and his beauty through the flowers and the trees, and we can view them through a microscope and marvel, but we don't say that is God. The greatest marvel, the greatest height of personality, is when we look at a human being and say, God is there. This is what I was seeing in my new friends. God in them. One of those friends, her name was Eleni. She took me under her wing, and through getting to know her better, I saw more and more in her life that really intrigued me. She had real peace and real joy. She had healthy friendships, humility, this wisdom beyond her years, and I was really curious how she lived like that. I mean, she didn't have any fewer tests than I did. She was like in a harder major than I was. I was like, how are you? What is happening? Her answer was daily time with Jesus. I was pretty shocked at that answer because at that point in my life, I thought that spending time reading the Bible would make you into someone that other people didn't want to be around, didn't like. You would run around and start hitting people with your Bible. And the opposite was true for Eleni. People were drawn to her because of her relationship with Jesus. And this type of abiding that Eleni told me about sounded like what Jesus describes in John 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. True satisfaction, true fulfillment. And she told me that it was available to me. I love that Jesus uses this metaphor with bread because carbs happen to be my favorite genre of food. Um, <laughs> amen? Um, it also just connects in so many ways to our spiritual reality. So firstly, God just wants to be with us. I really want us to hear that tonight. God really just wants to be with us. In Jesus' culture, meals were not something to neglect. They took time to prepare and time to enjoy. So when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, this wouldn't have evoked an image of like your grab-and-go snack or like running through a drive-through, right, to get something, but of quality time enjoying a meal. God, first and foremost, just wants to be with us. And our goal in abiding, first and foremost, is to know and be with Jesus. He warns us that this is not something we can afford to miss. Um, he says that even people who do a lot for him may get to heaven one day and he will say, I never knew you. This is in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does will, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. More than God wants anything from you, he wants to be with you. Jesus continues with this metaphor with bread when he teaches his disciples to pray. He tells them to ask for daily bread. And I believe he's talking about both physical provision and spiritual provision. We need him desperately for both, even if we don't always feel like it. So this starts, this daily bread starts with spending time with God daily. You wouldn't call someone your best friend that you've never had quality time with, right? That would kind of be weird. Um, but many of us do that with Jesus. If you're going to get to know someone, and especially if you're going to grow in trust with them, then you're going to eventually have to have intentional time together. And not only is spending this intentional time with God a means of obeying his command, he literally told us to abide in him, but it's meant to be enjoyable to the point that we start desiring it. And in a similar way, it's true that our physical bodies, right? It's just kind of a law of nature that we need food regularly. That's how we were designed. We are, in the same way, we're designed for consistent abiding with God. But also, food is just good. And I think God meant for food to be a gift for us and to delight us. And in the same way, I think our time with God is meant to be a delight 
for his presence to be a delight for us. Food also grows and strengthens our bodies. It has the nutrients that we need to grow and mature properly. As a baby receives their proper nutrients, they transform into a full-on adult. In the same way, abiding with God is a place of transformation for us. Abiding with God transforms us from the inside out. It's where we experience conviction, which is where that spirit of God in us says, you've missed the mark. And out of God's kindness, we're led to sorrow, to be grieving our sin, to repent and to turn from it. Scripture says, as we talked about before, all are sinful, right? But Jesus tells us that we don't have to stay there, okay? There is freedom. Abiding with God is also where we receive our identity. We learn to listen to the one who matters most, the voice that matters most. Instead of letting our failures or our successes define us, we receive our identity as sons and daughters, just like we were singing earlier. Humbled before God, but empowered by his spirit. Abiding is where we start to love the things that God loves and desire the things that he desires. You know, you start to become like the people you hang out with. I found myself the other day dancing like Chad. <laughs> And I also would have never watched Marvel movies if it wasn't for him. <laughs> and I like them. <laughs> um, yeah. As we spend time with God, we start to think about the things that he's revealing to us more throughout the day. We start to think about him more throughout the day. Just like food, after you eat it, it continues to digest. It doesn't just go straight through you, right? It, I don't know what all it does, but it stays. It digests it. Yeah, it, yeah, digestion. Mm -hmm. It breaks down. It nourishes you. I need Jesse Mancy to help me with all this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what you fill your mind with will linger with you throughout the day, no matter what that is, right? Like... For example, when I watch scary movies, every public bathroom I walk into is going to contain a murderer. <laughs> I start seeing opportunities to be murdered everywhere. <laughs> Thankfully, the same is true of spending time with God, and I do that way more often than I watch scary movies. When we spend intentional time with God, we start seeing him more throughout the day. We start seeing opportunities to ask him for help. Opportunities to thank him, to praise him, seeing his hand move, feeling his presence comfort us. So knowing Jesus, being transformed by him, all leads us ultimately into a beautiful fruit of obedience into God's word. John says that all who obey his commands abide in him. And I think there's kind of this circular relationship, a reciprocal relationship between obeying God's commands and abiding. 
as we start to trust God more, right, we're spending time with him, we're getting to know his character, his promises for us, we start to see his commands as his perfect design, right? Start to actually love his law and see that it truly is the highest good for our lives. At the same time, we're repenting and shedding our rebellion from sin, even growing a distaste for sin in our mouths. Abiding draws us into obedience to God's word. But as we seek to obey God's word, I think more than ever, we start to see the truth that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from abiding in God, we are powerless to obey him. Letting God use us as vessels of his power, one of his commands would be to go and make disciples, right? Using us as vessels of his truth and glory. This command is something I definitely feel often pushing me deeper into abiding. I have no ability to show Jesus to someone else if he is not, if I am not abiding in him and he in me. Just like food nourishes and strengthens and helps develop our bodies, abiding in Christ transforms us into his image. So what does this actually mean for our lives? If you're thinking, maybe I do want to seek out this type of relationship with God, start spending time with him, what can you expect? Well, at first, it may not be easy to create this habit. I will just warn you. Um, in Practicing the Presence of God, really good book, Brother Lawrence, who's the author, says, in order to form a habit of conversing with God continually and referring all we do to him, we must first apply to him with some diligence but that after a little care, we should find his love inwardly excites us to do it without any difficulty. Dick Brogdon says it this way. He says, discipline leads to desire, which matures into delight. It takes discipline to have intentional time with God, but it oozes outside of that. God is faithful with the time that we give him. There's another book called Live Dead, The Journey. As we're walking closer to Missions Week, I would highly recommend this book. It says, abiding is extravagant, concentrated daily times with Jesus and an all-day awareness. Abiding is constant communion in the midst of a crowded world and a busy life and unique times of sweet, exclusive fellowship. Some days we won't feel hungry, but this is one of the differences between an emotion-driven faith that says, I feel like being with God, he's there when I need him, and one that abides with God because the God of the universe has paid the ultimate price so I could have this unity with him. And he deserves my time. He deserves my worship. He deserves my whole being. 
I remember Eleni encouraging me to start abiding with God. And I don't remember what motivated me to start, <laughs> to be honest. I started with just about five minutes a day, though. I'd read over my notes from church previous Sunday, and I would go back to the scriptures that we had studied and look at them for myself and pray over them. And I remember thinking, I had no clue the Bible said all of these things. But one of the biggest things I remember from that season is seeing God's promises, the things I was reading in his word, come to life in all different areas of my life. The, his word was holding up against my experience. What has it been like since then? I would say, worship team, you can come back up if you desire. Justin. <laughs> I would say since then, I have been living in that cycle of discipline, desire, delight. And let me just encourage you, if you're back at that place of discipline, another word connected to abiding is endurance, okay? Endure. He is worth it. I have seen just from spending this intentional time with God and abiding with him as a part of my life, I've seen him change almost everything about me, okay? It's not just a difference in my day, although I still notice a difference in my day if I do spend time with God versus if I don't. I'm more grounded and sensitive to his voice and more patient we're able to just be led by him. I don't just see a difference in my day, but abiding shapes our lives. And I believe that that is the type of relationship he wants for every single one of us in this room. So how do we respond to this? I want to talk to two different groups of people specifically. Some of you may have been living off of stale bread. Stale bread. Maybe you had an encounter with God a while ago that really built up your faith, or you used to have uh, an awesome regular time with God and you've been feeding on that to sustain your walk with God now. I believe that God wants to give you fresh bread today, that he wants to meet you in a real and personal way today. I believe he wants to give you fresh bread every day if you will take the time to receive it. Some of you may have been eating the scraps of someone else's bread, relying on community to nourish and sustain you. Maybe you're only getting fed twice a week here on Sundays. Maybe you haven't believed that this bread of life, this feast that Jesus is offering is really available to you. Maybe you've thought that type of walk with God is for my small group leader but probably not for me. I don't think that's true. 
I think that the Lord wants to fill you full to overflowing. We are all members of one body, which is beautiful and means that we get to figure this out together, right? We get to walk together as we pursue the Lord. But as a body, we don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life specifically. So let's take a moment as we worship for just each of us to, one, praise God for making a way for him to abide in us and for us to abide with him. And secondly, let's let the Lord search our hearts if there's anything that has been keeping us from abiding with him. Let him put his finger there and surrender it.